Thank you, worship team. Amen. It's another glorious day today. So a good day to uh, be in the house of the Lord with our brothers and sisters in Christ to worship. Uh, pray for me today as I bring today's sermon. As I'm doing that, I'm thinking of my own son, my son Micaiah. He's actually preaching today too at his church in California. And uh, so pray for him as well. So you can pray for both father and son this morning. Do you believe in miracles? Wow, great. I don't know how many of you are football fans, but do you remember the the Minnesota miracle a couple of weeks ago where the Minnesota Vikings, at the very last second, nearly impossible situation, won the game on a last-second touchdown? Unfortunately, that miracle is very short-lived because the next week they went to Philadelphia and that Minnesota miracle became the Philadelphia folly or the Philadelphia fly. They, they lost uh, by a considerable amount of points. But do you believe in miracles? Yes. The fact that we're here worshiping in this beautiful worship center, the fact that the Crocs Center was uh, placed here in Kapolei a few years ago, that is a miracle. Do you believe in miracles? The fact that some of you are here this morning in church is a miracle, isn't it? That we got up out of bed and made it to church, that's a miracle. But the fact that some of you are alive today and sitting here in church, that's a miracle too. Where God has miraculously healed you, perhaps of an illness, or perhaps even of, of cancer. Or God has delivered you out of a, a life of sin and a, and a destructive lifestyle. That's a miracle. Amen? What is a miracle? What's the definition of a miracle? A miracle is an an event that appears to be contrary to the laws of nature and is regarded as an act of God. An event or an action that is amazing, extraordinary, or unexpected. So this morning we're beginning a new sermon series. And it's entitled, as you can see, The Miracles of Jesus. And we're going to be looking especially in the book of John, the Gospel of John. Those of you that don't know where that is in the Bible, it's in the New Testament. It's the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be looking at the miracles that the, the, uh, the Apostle John recorded. And there are seven, about seven miracles of Jesus that are recorded in the book of John. And I would encourage you, during our particular sermon series, that you intentionally, that you purposely read through the book of John. Perhaps you can do that as your Bible reading plan for these next several weeks. And then, of course, along with our sermons, we're going to be sending out or passing out discussion questions so that after the sermon you can take it home, you can look at it individually or meet with a group or your family or your Ohana group. But we just want to reinforce the sermon on Sunday with some questions. We'll have some available outside if you haven't already received it in the email. But we're going to be looking at Jesus' first miracle today. And it's found in John chapter 2. And it's the first miracle that's recorded. And it's the miracle of Jesus turning the water into wine at a wedding celebration in the little town of Cana in Galilee. And miracles, miracles are described as, as signs. Signs. They're miracles with a meaning. And so each one of the miracles that we're going to be looking at 
invites us to see something new or something different about Jesus. Because these are the miracles of Jesus. And the wonderful way in which Jesus can change our lives, can transform our lives. It's all about Jesus. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 2. And this miracle takes place in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And rather than me reading it, we're going to watch a, a video description of this particular passage of Scripture. Uh, so sit back and enjoy. I need to tell you, though, that this, uh, this video, video is a little bit old. It's probably older than I am. No, it's not that old. So it's a little bit grainy, all right? But you'll get the gist of it as you watch it, all right? Sit back and watch it. The first sign at the wedding in Cana in Galilee very quickly points us to some very key truths. And this morning, we already know the story. We've seen it depicted. We've probably read it many times. But I just want to draw out four key truths that we can find in this particular miracle, in this particular passage of Scripture. And we're going to go through it verse by verse. And the first point is this. This, first, this miracle shows us what I would call the humanity of the holy life. Now, a little bit tongue twister here, but I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, the humanity of the holy life. We'll have it up there on the screen. Turn to your other neighbor and say, the humanity of the holy life. Verse 1 and 2 says, On the third day, a wedding that took place at Cana in Galilee, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples also had been invited to the wedding. And just as it was depicted in the video, that's the way Jewish weddings were. It was like a big celebration. It was almost like a community event where the whole town, the whole village would come, and it would last for days, sometimes as long as a week. So how unexpected that we would find the Son of God at a social gathering, at a wedding, enjoying himself. You know, Jesus loved life and he enjoyed it. And our Lord was not a recluse, as was John the Baptist, but he accepted invitations to social events, even though his enemies used this practice to accuse him. Jesus entered into the normal experiences of life, And what he did, though, was he sanctified them by his presence. You see, Jesus was on a mission to save the world, the greatest mission in the history of mankind. Yet he he took the time to attend a wedding and to take part in its festivities. And sometimes, sometimes we are tempted to not take time out of our very important work, even of the ministry, for social occasions. But maybe these social occasions are a part of our mission. I still remember serving as a missionary in the Marshall Islands many years ago. And I would get invited to to lots of celebrations, very similar to what we saw in the video, whether it was a birthday or a wedding or a graduation. And I still remember talking to some other missionaries on the field from America. And they said they wouldn't attend those things because it wasn't proper for them to be at those types of events. But I would always go because there was free food. That's why I went. (laughs) But seriously, Jesus valued these social occasions because it involved people. And Jesus came to be with people. And Jesus 
But Jesus lived a holy life. And he was no different whether he was at a party or a social event or whether he was at the synagogue in worship. He lived a holy life, 24, 7, 365. And people today, we compartmentalize our lives, don't we? We live differently in this situation, and then we go on to the next situation, and we live a little bit differently. Maybe our values change, and our attitude, and our actions, and our behavior changes as we go from one place to the next. Think about it. What are you like, and how do you behave, and how do you act on a Monday morning, whether you're at work or at school? And is that different than how you would think and act and behave on a Saturday evening? at a party, if you're out with your friends? And is that different than how you act on a Sunday morning in church? You see how sometimes we, we compartmentalize our lives, and we act differently in this situation than we would in that situation. But Jesus was the same person, through and through, no matter where he was, no matter who he was with. I like that word integrity. Integrity. It comes from the basic word integer, which is a whole number. Integrity means wholeness. It means oneness. It means I'm the same person here as I am here. You see, our values, our attitudes, our behaviors, our thinking should not change if we are a person of integrity, of wholeness, of oneness. And Jesus, Jesus, at this time, does the ultimate job of integrating both humanity and his holiness. And Jesus embraces our humanity in all of its healthy, joyful celebrations. So we see in this miracle, number one, the humanity of the holy life. The second thing we can see is this, the secret of successful prayer. Turn to your neighbor and say, the secret of successful prayer. Say to someone else, the secret of successful prayer. Verse 3 says, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, Jesus said, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. It's kind of a strange statement by Jesus. But his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Just do whatever he tells you. You see, Jewish weddings usually lasted about a week, and it was necessary for the groom to have adequate provisions. I recall our wedding day. Debbie and I, we've been married for, uh, for more than 20 years, going on 21 this coming June. But I still remember our wedding and, and how we planned it. And, you know, Debbie's the organizer. So she actually had a, had a brief. It was about 30 pages and it had all the details, every single thing in there. What time the flowers were coming, and the balloons, and the food, and where people were going to park. And it was very detailed. But like anywhere else, even in a Jewish wedding, even here in Hawaii, it would be embarrassing, wouldn't it, if we were to run out of food. And in the Jewish culture, it would be twice as embarrassing if you were to run out of wine, because that's all they drank back then. And so Mary, the mother of Jesus, must have been very close to this particular family because somehow she found out that they had run out of wine. 
Well, she didn't tell Jesus what to do. She simply reported the problem to him. And she said, they, Jesus, they just ran out of wine. She didn't say anything else. So the first secret of successful prayer is number one, that we have direct access to Jesus through prayer. Mary just went up to Jesus. And we do, we have direct access to Jesus. We do not need to go through a priest or through a mediator, but we have direct access. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. There's no other way we, get to, we can get to God. But we, as believers, we have direct access to God. Remember on Good Friday, the Holy of Holies, while Jesus was being crucified on the cross, the veil, the veil that separated the outside from the Holy of Holies, that only one time a year the, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sin of all the people. None of the people could access God. But on that first Good Friday, that veil, that big curtain was torn in two, and the Holy of Holies was open and exposed, and people had access to that now through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's an old gospel hymn that goes like this. It says, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. So that's the first secret of successful prayers, that we have direct access. We can come to God at any time. We have our prayer room here at the Croxton. We have what we call these prayer benches. We call it the mercy seat. You can pray at home, in your car, anywhere. You can have direct access to Jesus. The second secret of successful prayer is simply this, that it is to trust Jesus for the answer. You see, Mary was probably not asking Jesus to perform a miracle, per se. She didn't ask that. She was simply hoping that her son would help solve this major problem for this family and find some wine so that they wouldn't be embarrassed. I wonder if she was thinking, ah, Jesus, can you go down to the 7-Eleven and buy some more wine? But you know, Jesus' response in verse 4 is difficult to understand, but maybe, but maybe that's the point. You see, although Mary did not understand what Jesus was going to do, she simply trusted him to do the right thing. She told the servants, just, just do whatever he says. She said, I trust him. She turned the problem over to Jesus, and she left it in his hands. You see, Mary pointed to Jesus, not to herself. When there was an issue, when there was a concern, she was obviously concerned about it, she didn't try to solve it all by herself. She just said, just do whatever he says. She turned it over to him. She trusted in him. The secret of successful prayers that we have direct access to Jesus and that we just need to simply trust Jesus for the answer. So we've seen the humanity of the holy life. We've seen the, the, the secret of successful prayer. And the third thing I bring out this morning, I call it the pattern for productive service. The pattern for productive service. Turn to your neighbor and say, the pattern for productive service. <clears throat> say it again. The pattern for productive service. Verse 6 says, Nearby stood some stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. 
And we know in the Jewish culture there was a lot of ceremonial cleansing and watching uh, before you worship, before you eat, before you even have a party. Each holding from 20 to 30 gallons, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. The pattern for productive service? The servants simply did their job. They did their ministry. This is the pattern here. Look at the pattern. They filled the jars with water. That was their job. A job they were supposed to do. That was their daily chore, to fill the jars with water. And as they did what they were just supposed to do, Jesus did the rest. You see, we need to do what we should be doing, and as we do our part, God will do his. Remember what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth when they were arguing amongst themselves. He said that, Paul said that he had planted the seeds and Apollos had watered it, but it was God who caused the growth. I want you to look back into your own personal history of spiritual growth. Look back into your own personal history of spiritual growth. And you can see that that different people played a role in your spiritual development. They were faithful in their ministry to you, thus allowing God to work in your life. You see, it's important to fulfill our ministry so that God will work miracles in other people's lives. Think about this. Who, who influenced a Billy Graham? Who taught a William Booth, who is, was the founder of the Salvation Army? Who discipled a Wayne Cordero? Who, who nurtured and took under their wing an Yvonne Samia, or a Danny Moa, or a Roberta Duranlu? Who? Those behind the scenes? Those nameless servants who filled the water jars? who simply fulfilled their ministry. And as they did their part, God did his in the lives of these individuals. Can you imagine what it was like to have been one of those servants who witnessed and and took part in this miracle? They had played such a vital role, yet they were just doing what they were supposed to do. Yet if they didn't do their job, if they didn't do what they were supposed to do, then there would be no water in the jars. And if no water, there would be no wine. And if no wine, there would be no miracle. So the question today is, how has God gifted you? And are you fulfilling your particular ministry in the body of Christ. Perhaps in our church today, or in our community today, that there are children, or that there are young people, and perhaps in them, perhaps there is a future Billy Graham, or a future William Booth, or a future Wayne Cordero, or a future Yvonne, or a future Danny, or a future Roberta. The Lord wants to use you for his service. But we must do our part. 
And as we do our part and fulfill our ministry, we can become a part of that miraculous and wonderful, life-transforming ministry of Jesus Christ. The pattern for productive service. So we've seen the humanity of the holy life, the secret of successful prayer, and the pattern for productive service. And the last thing I leave with you this morning is simply this. The fourth truth is this. The meaning of a miraculous event. Turn to your neighbor and say, the meaning of a miraculous event. One more time. The meaning of a miraculous event. Wow. This certainly was a miraculous event, wasn't it? You know, in contrast to some of his later miracles, only a handful of people witnessed this one. A few servants, a few of his disciples, and Jesus' mother. It wasn't something that he did for the crowds. So we need to ask the question, what is the meaning of this particular miracle? What is the meaning of this sign? And I'm sure there's lots of meanings, but I just have three this morning that I leave with you. And the first is this. The first is that Jesus is Lord in every situation. Say that to your neighbor. Jesus is Lord in every situation. You see, no, no part of life is so insignificant that Jesus doesn't care about it. You see, in every detail of our life, Jesus cares for us intimately. You think about it. In the whole, in the whole grand scheme of things, this was just a wedding of some unknown, obscure couple in Israel 2,000 years ago. But Jesus cared. He cared. You see, from our rising up in the morning to our going down and laying down at night, that verse was quoted this morning in our prayer time, from the biggest situation to the smallest, from the, the most significant things in our life to the least, it could be our, our health or our finances or, or relationships or jobs or family or the futures, those, those big things that weigh heavy on our minds. Or it could be as something as simple as a, a tiny paper cut or a little child's hurt feelings. Jesus knows and he cares. You see, he is the Lord in every situation. And that gives me hope. Jesus is the Lord in every situation, but also Jesus is the Lord of all creation. Say to your neighbor, Jesus is the Lord of all creation. One more time, Jesus is the Lord of all creation. <clears throat> we used to live in Santa Rosa. It's in Northern California. Um, you may recall a few months ago, that's where we had the, those horrible fires that went through the town. But Santa Rosa is, is part of Sonoma County, close to Napa County. It's, it's wine country. They call it wine country. There's, there's vineyards, great vineyards all over the place. There's lots of wineries. Um, and so the question I would ask you, some of you may know this, some of you may not. I'm not a wine drinker, so I'm not quite sure how it all works. But, but how long does it take to make wine? How long does it take to make not just some cheapo wine, but the, the best wine ever. 
Does it take weeks? Does it take months? Does it take years? Does it take decades? Remember, this was the best wine. You know, this miracle that Jesus performed just short-circuited the entire natural course. And think of some of the other miracles Jesus displayed, like, like calming the stormy sea, or multiplying the loaves and the fish, and walking on the water. You see, Jesus is all-powerful. He is the Lord of all creation. And we are part of that creation. So he's the Lord in every situation. He's the Lord of all creation. And the last thing I leave with you this morning. Jesus is the Lord of transformation. Of transformation. I'm going to ask Matt and the worship team to come out um, as I end up with my, uh, this last point. But Jesus is the Lord of transformation. Say that to your, to your neighbor. Jesus is the Lord of transformation. Say it one more time. Jesus is the Lord of transformation. You see, out of the old jars, out of the old jars came the new wine. The best ever. The contents of the old jars, which, which were used for religious cleansing. Cleansing. External cleansing. That water was transformed into something brand new. You see, when Jesus is the Lord of our lives, a vital transformation takes place. One that goes way beyond mere religious cleansing, which is external. We can try to change things on the outside. We can try to put on a new robe or new clothes. And on the outside, we may look clean and nice and pretty. But Jesus' transformation goes way beyond that, which is external. And it's a miraculous change from within. It's where emptiness is replaced by fullness, where disappointment is replaced by joy, where aimlessness is replaced by purpose and direction. It is where our religious, the external, becomes reality, which is an internal change. It's a miracle from within. It changes the heart. It's more than just a surface, band-aid type of approach to things. But it goes to the heart of the matter. It changes our hearts. When Jesus is Lord of our lives, not just the external changes, but our motives change. The desires of our heart change. The intentions. What makes us do what we do. That itself changes And then the external changes. So Jesus is the Lord of transformation. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. As we look at the miracles of Jesus, and we'll discover in the ensuing weeks, we see the compassion of Jesus, that he cares for people at their point of need. We see the power of Jesus. He's the power over nature. He's the power over everything. He's the Lord over everything. And as we begin to recognize that, we see his majesty. We see his glory. We see that he is Lord. And that as we look to Jesus, we look to him, we see Jesus who loves us 
and cares for us. And he has the power and the desire to want to transform our lives from the old to something that is so new and vibrant and alive. Our worship team is going to sing that simple chorus. Some of you may know that. You'll see it up here on the screen. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as they sing, my prayer that you would make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Remember, you can come and pray to him at any time. But the question we ask ourselves, is Jesus the Lord of my life? Have I allowed him to take control of my heart and my life? I encourage you to do that. And even as they sing, if you would like to come to the place of prayer and just submit yourselves. Say, Jesus, I acknowledge you. I recognize you. I agree that you are Lord. And I need to come and pay homage to you and bow down. So as they sing, reflect in your own heart this morning. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for his majesty and for his glory, for his power, for his love, for his compassion, for his forgiveness. And Lord, we worship your son, Jesus Christ. We recognize him for who he is, that he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And Lord, we submit to him and we surrender to him because he is the Lord of our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you.